This is Sound Heights Records Podcast, Session 11. And the song lyric of the day is by Arcade Fire. My body is a cage, we take what we're given. Just because you've forgotten, that don't mean you're forgiven. I'm living in an age that screams my name at night. When I get to the doorway, there's no one in sight. I'm living in an age that laughs when I'm dancing with the one I love. But my mind holds the key. Yes, I hear you, and I understand. I'll be looking for you throughout the show. Welcome to the Sound Heights Records Podcast. Harmonizing life and music, growing as an artist, improving as a person, gaining insight and inspiration. Conversations with world class musicians. Welcome to Sound Heights Records. This is Yisrael Aryeh. For today's session, we welcome a special guest. Her name is Laura Melnikoff. She's a truly accomplished cellist, which you can hear at the beginning of this session that we played a little bit from a recital she did of Dvorak's second cello concerto, which we'll play more of after the interview. But besides her classical music background, she's involved in quite a range of eclectic and varied musical projects. She's been the cellist for the recent production in Yiddish of Fiddler on the Roof. She's done performances of improvisational music with live art with Yitzchak Muli, the pop art rabbi. She plays with the New Moon All-Stars Party Band. Um, you could find her playing Hasidic melodies in, in different contexts. She was uh, a guest on Sound Heights Records produced um, EP by singer-songwriter Emily Zimmer. She also happens to have a really unique story as an observant Jewish woman, wife and mother, to be actively performing music. It's not very common, I'll tell you that. So let's get into her story. Um, before we do, just want to thank our patrons for supporting this and our episodes and our music releases. You can find all that at soundheightsrecords.com or patreon.com slash soundheightsrecords to show your support and get unreleased tracks, etc. So here it is, our interview with Laura Melnikoff. I grew up in a secular Jewish family. I knew that I was Jewish growing up, and we celebrated Hanukkah. We'd go to Passover seders at our friends' houses. And that was pretty much it. Um, and I grew up with a lot of classical music in the home, also a lot of female jazz singers, which what that that's what my mother would listen to while cooking in the kitchen. And, and um, it was a dream of my mother's to learn how to play cello. And so um, as a sort of cute mother-daughter activity, we we started learning cello and taking cello lessons together with the Suzuki method where, where as part of the method, the parent learns along with the child. So 
there's like a, a level of parental involvement built into the method. But in addition to that, my mother also wanted to study it for herself. Well, she she was she had played uh, besides singing. She she played um, so, other instruments. She played piano. Yeah, she grew yeah. up playing piano, like that that uh, like middle class. You know, I think of it as Jewish, but I, I know it wasn't exclusively Jewish value for girls to sort of have a, a polish growing up. She was born in the 50s and and uh, and took piano lessons. There was like a piano in the parlor. And and yeah, she she took piano lessons from a young age and continued playing her whole life. Um, and so so how old were you when you were? Learning Suzuki, that's like pretty young. They start kids like three, age three or, or something, right? Yeah. Or... yeah, I didn't start that young. I started at, at age six, um, but yeah, I, I don't think I had it in me as a, as a toddler to play a musical instrument. So I started at age six with private cello lessons, and, um, and then at age 11, just as part of my like education in, in New York City, Selecting a middle school is a really big process. I mean, selecting any school at any age, including preschool. I mean, as we know, even like playgroup and daycare is, is a huge undertaking. Um, and so for middle school, um, right as I um, like, I, uh, I, as I turned 11 years old, we became aware of this really awesome program at in Lincoln Center as part of the Elaine Kaufman Cultural Center. It's like attached to the Merkin Concert Hall and they have a few different music programs and performing arts programs at the Lucy Moses School. And at the time they had a pilot program for a, a public school that had a privately funded music program, which has since totally taken off and, and they're really doing amazing things. And so they had already, um, they had a few years under their belt, but it was still a pilot program in the sense that the oldest class was like the oldest class there was. So like sixth grade was as big the school was that year. And then when I, when we went into seventh grade, they expanded to include seventh grade and then they expanded to include eighth grade and so on. So, um, that was definitely of interest to us. It was small sizes, everything that, uh, that seems impossible to get in the public school system was attainable because I had been learning cello and studying it seriously enough. And, and it was entrance by audition and I passed the audition and it just seemed like a natural choice to go to this really amazing program. There were 15 kids in my sixth grade class, which is just unheard of in public school in New York city. Wow. It was really wonderful. What, what neighborhood was that in, in, in Lincoln Center at the Elaine Kaufman Cultural Center on 67th Street. You, on li West. you lived right near there? I, I grew up on 96th Street. 96th, so, yeah. Oh, okay, right in the area. Yeah, right there. So you must there must have been some really precocious, <laughs> oh, um, <totally>. talented kids <laughs> yeah, besides I yourself. Yeah, my depth there, there was a very strong Russian influence in that school at that time. And um, so there was a, sort of a network of... of um, kids who had recently immigrated from Russia and there's such a strong tradition for for music education in Russia and um, and former Soviet Union and so there were these kids there whose parents would sit with them for hours and practice with them which my parents weren't gonna do mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just not something they had ever signed up to do had heard of as something that you that you do and 
Um, yes, there were kids in like at 11 years old practicing three hours a day in addition to doing homework in addition in addition to learning English as a second language. Wow. So it was it was very intensive. And uh, so my cello teacher was from Ukraine, and he was he was very clear that. I had sort of been assigned to, to be his student. There was another cello teacher involved in this program. And so they kind of just split the incoming students. And um, when, when I went to go meet him, he was just really clear with my family, like, you got to practice. This is a serious undertaking. And that's just how it is with me as your teacher. That's just how it's going to be. No option to kind of slack off. That's not how I do things. I'm not going to babysit your child or, you know, like there, there are so many ways the lesson could go. And he was very clear in his expectations about how much work I was supposed to do and what he envisioned for his students, which was really great. It was very intensive, but at least he was extremely clear about, you know, the, the excellence that he wanted for his students. That was hugely influential on me. Because he also had older students in high school um, who were pursuing music very seriously. And I had exposure to them even at, the, at that young age. And so I was able to kind of get a, some sort of sense of a larger music community beyond like, um, like I, the sense that I got from other music schools that I had gone to here and there was that like a, in, in childhood music education, your experience of music, I mean, for anyone, it's closely tied to your community, but like your music school can feel like your whole musical world. And it, it's, it's, it doesn't come with the context of like the worldwide music community or um, like necessarily a bridge for how you can get to where you are as a little music student to being a conservatory student, which even with my intensive music music education, I still there were still a lot of missing holes for me when transitioning out of high school into conservatory. Like there's just so much, um, and like it's yeah, it's this closed system. Even like like each each music community is very closed, and I still find that to be true at any level. Even if you're in the conservatory world, it's like then it's then it's just your conservatory or you only get more exposure to other musicians if you actively seek it or if you go to music festivals, which is kind of a must. It's a must as a as a uh, someone who's striving to be professional. It's like you have to go to these music festivals, your education. You don't get a break during the summer. Right. I mean, you're speaking specifically in the classical world or you're also exposed to other other streams of music. Oh, totally just the classical world. I didn't have any exposure to other streams of music. Um, wow. And and what did you feel? I mean, how do you, in terms of the level of, uh, obviously, there's probably a lot of pressure. It sounds like the way your teacher set things up, that the high expectations, the great players, the um, was, I mean, clearly you, you emerged from all that with a real, you know, re retaining your joy for music. But I know that's not always the case. So what do you attribute that to? Or, or do you feel like there was sometimes the pressure would overwhelm the, the joy of it? Oh, yeah, the, the pressure was very overwhelming, totally. And um, and um, like in a literal sense, 
it, it got to a point where my sense of self-worth was directly tied to my ability to play the cello. Like I, I felt like I could only be like a worthwhile um, user of of space and air if I could if I could prove my existence by doing by playing cello well. And so that that's a really tough way to see things and was a big driver in my interest and like attachment to um, to Hasidic Judaism, where the message that I got there was, no, your self-worth is defined just because God put you here on this wor- on this earth. And yes, you should strive to do things well, but that that's not the be all and end all. You should also you should pursue more things than just playing cello. Mm. Don't put all your eggs in that basket. Right. And that that was something that that stuck with you that that lesson. From Judaism. Yes, that yeah. was that is still the most like compelling thing for me. You you held on to that message. You I mean that was you were very aware of that through through the the conservatory years. Or that was something you discovered later, right? Um, okay, so I started. I started going to my Chabad house on the Upper West Side, which is now on Ninety Seventh Street and Amsterdam. So it was around the corner from where from my family's apartment, and across, like you can see my elementary school from the window. It was, it's just right, all right there, and also like. I went to conservatory at Manus, which at the time was on 85th Street, and my rabbi's family was on 86th Street, and it, every my whole life was in this tiny little radius. So um, I started going to the Chabad house when I was 16, at LaGuardia High School for Music and Art and Performing Arts. And um, I actually, um, I left LaGuardia when I was in, uh, like, in the beginning of junior year to pursue music more, like, just spend more of my day on music. I got a GED, and I doubled up on music classes at the Elaine Kaufman Center. And at that same time, I also started going to the Chabad house um, with a friend from high school who is our neighbor here in Crown Heights now. She also two kids like I do and um and we were in the cello section at LaGuardia together this is Alana Ellis Klein and she um so she's a little older than me and when she started going she she went into film she went to SUNY Purchase for film and she got involved in Jewish life there and she that's where she got exposed to Chabad and she invited me to go to the Chabad house in our neighborhood and she like she called me up and she asked me if I'd be interested in going with her but she left me a message and I don't know, I, I wasn't listening carefully or maybe it got garbled, but I thought she was inviting me to go to a yoga class for Jewish people, <laughs> which I thought sounded really awesome. <laughs> so we went, <laughs> so she, she picked me up and, um, on a Saturday morning and I, I like, I rolled out of bed to open the apartment for her and she, um, she was wearing this cute dress and I thought she was going to change when we got to the yoga studio. And so I was showing her like, I got these new yoga pants, but maybe I should wear my old yoga pants because I know they fit. And she she's like, you know, you're that we're going to shoal. And I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
but it had been something we had discussed together that neither of us really knew Orthodox Jews and we would like to just see what it's like and neither of us had had much exposure to any sort of synagogue experience. Like I, we'd both been to, like Ilana had a bat mitzvah, I didn't, but I had been to others bar and bat mitzvahs of different streams. I'd been to only one Orthodox bar mitzvah. Um, and and actually in that same family um, of, of the Orthodox bar mitzvah, the, they had twin daughters who had a bat mitzvah, which I believe, I believe, Maybe I don't remember. I'm trying to remember if they read from the Torah or not, um, which is, um, you know, an indication of of uh, like evolving Jewish streams of orthodoxy. So uh, basically, my point was that I hadn't, I, I had, I don't remember having a, a very ex- like extremely traditional, like Hasidic exposure to Judaism. Um, and so we were really curious about it. So I, so I went, yeah, I, right. I was maybe a little disappointed that it wasn't a, a yoga class, but that, <laughs> I got over it and we went and, um, it was very compelling. Like they were ready for our teenaged questions about our existence and our angst and everything. They were, they, I mean, they had lot of cities to just kind of supply all these answers that neither myself or my friend had ever encountered um, that level of certainty or, you know, like uh, our our sort of philosophical basis was very relativistic Mm -hmm. because we had both grown up in these very pluralist environments, like, like public school, you know, like, We knew so many different cultures, and so to understand our context within that was something we hadn't ever gotten like a definitive answer for, or like a definitive sounding, or or an attitude of definitive definitiveness. <laughs> like, right, right. Actually, for example, in my music school, I was saying there there were a lot of Russian students. Mm-hmm. For, by Russian, I mean from the former Soviet Union, and they had their language in common, they had their food in common, they had all this culture in common that they took so much pride in and that they they shared in a very real way because they they had only, like, of those Russian students, the ones that had been there the longest, had it had still only been three years. And mm-hmm. these were children, 11 years old. And, um, and so to see that... And to like look look at where look at like my family, which is very small. Like I, I I'm an only child, and there aren't a lot of children in my extended family. And there wasn't like for me, I didn't even have a much of a family culture. Hmm. Also, my mom passed away, which was like this huge disruption to that whole sense of you know oh. a sense of self, culture, identity, everything. And so that was an additional drive. In, in like this spiritual search for me. How old were you when, when she passed? I was 11. It was like, oh, wow. it was halfway through that first year at the music school, a special music school. This yeah. was public school program. And, um, and so that combined with seeing my friends who had this long tradition to like to go home to that included like their language and food and everything. 
um, I really craved it. Mm. And because I like, I sort of, it was like I had an into that because my cello teacher was Russian, was Ukrainian. And, and, um, <laughs> and I ended up going to Ukraine for summer music festivals through middle school and high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. That must have been amazing. Awesome. That must have been. <laughs> I loved it. It was really opening. Yeah. Yeah. Total eye opener. I had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a very interesting time to see Ukraine, which like and to see it continue to evolve um, in like the present day political climate and to like feel that connection to it is is has, I'm really, really grateful for that experience of having gone there and spent so much time there. Um, and so like. I was sort of like partaking of it, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely not Russian. I'm not Ukrainian. I'm Jewish, mm. which is a very, it's like, like I, uh, there was a Jewish girl at that program in Kiev and we, we bonded over that. I mean, she, <laughs> she bonded to me over that. Mm. And I was so confused because at that time it didn't, I, I had no idea what the context was that that she felt very alone and that she had to hide that she was Jewish and that and so there was one one experience we had together we were just riding on the train um, and I think this was the last time I had gone for a music festival and like after that I, I haven't been back since and we were just talking and she we were it like came up that about Jewishness and I like said the word I said that I was Jewish or something. I don't, mm. I don't remember what it was, but something like that came up and she shushed me. She was like, no, you can't say that here. Oh, wow. And I, I was like, whoa. That was the first ever contact I had with that sort of mindset. I had never experienced any anti-Semitism, like growing up ever. It's like, like I have a friend who, who would say like, New York City is more Jewish than Israel, and I really <laughs> feel that to be true. <laughs> right. Like, it's just so ingrained to, like, for there to be Jews, especially on the Upper West Side in Manhattan, so Jewish. Yeah. So I had never, I'd literally never had that experience. And then, like, yeah, so that, that was a very eye-opening thing for me to, like, be told. Like, so, so, I mean, so you, so... Let's say at sixteen, you're you're deep into the music to the point where you even, you know, focus all your your energy on it, right? And then at the same time, yeah. you're you're starting to explore the in the through the Chabad house, the, um, yeah. not just obviously traditional Jewish ideas, but also I imagine the lifestyle, the taking on the practices and and um, Shabbos observance. How did that? For how how quickly did that start to come into your um, your practice and did it affect your, your musical practice? I can imagine there might have been some some tension or, or it was just two different streams that, that didn't really conflict with each other. Um, for a while, it was two different streams that didn't conflict much because like Shabbos observance just wasn't... I, like for there was a while there where I was just like okay I guess I'll just never keep Shabbos but I could do other stuff because that's uh -huh. that's how it's presented to you as someone at a Chabad house right like, yeah. right away the the my shliach Rabbi Chaim Baruch Halevsky, was he like told us look you can just wash your hands ritually like that's something you could do and then, and I actually started doing that at home right it just seemed like something like I was 
I was very open to this ideology. It, it, it felt very like affirmative and, and, and liberating to me. And I felt like I could just do what I could and wouldn't do what I felt like I couldn't. Right. But then after a point, it, it, I don't know. I, I don't know. There was a point at which I felt like I couldn't, I really had to change stuff about, um, how, like where I was coming from, like the, like I, I, I was talking before about how much pressure I felt as a musician to tie myself worth to my ability to play. Right. And that, that was really big. And at a point I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> that was one thing. And also like trying to date as a young person and feeling expected to date and to form relationships, like romantic relationships, uh, including as someone who like really struggled, um, Basically, like, because my mom passed away, romantic relationships because of their identity was sort of a way for me, like, I see it as a way for me to play out all these, like, struggles I had with with intimate relationships because I didn't have a mother. Mm. And, I, and I was still so young, like, 16, 17, 18, like, I'm, I'm 28 now. <laughs> you know, at the time, I, you know, a 16-year-old yeah. is very offended to hear that they're young. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And especially like, like you're a thinking person at age 16, but not enough tools to live life at that point. And so, um, so, um, seeing, having some exposure to, to Hasidic ways of life, including about like the approach to marriage and that mm -hmm. just really spoke to me. It just really, it just seemed like, okay, that could, I could do that. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I could, like, I really I would get so overwhelmed with with like the little relationships I would forge here and there. They would fizzle out very quickly because I would get so overwhelmed with like emotions. Like the, it was full of a lot of weight for me. Right. And and to see in Orthodox Judaism that that weight was honored. Like yes, this is very serious. You're like, you could like this uh, romantic relationships go as far as to like build a home and have children. Right. And, and it is a vessel for all those emotions because that, that is where they belong. This is a big thing. Wow. And I really liked that. I mean, you really, it's almost like you're, you're given permission to, because of the, the peer pressure I, I know of that age in the secular world where it's, it's, you have to be in, you know, you have to be involved romantic, you know, if you're not, then some, something's wrong with you. Kind yeah. of that kind of expectation, and and the idea that you have this um, philosophy that you're connecting to that's giving you permission to take a step back, um, you know, because I, I also in those those musical environments, uh, you know, especially I, I can imagine, you know, I mean, especially as a young person, it, it can be very intense, you know, the relationships in general, just with you know, yeah. you're, you're and you're, and add to that that you're involved in music which is an emotionally based experience that it's right. like it's yeah i could see how that 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 could come as a real um help to you to be able to set those boundaries what was it at that point did you 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 realized that that was a good thing was it was it easy for you to set those boundaries with other people um i feel like easy isn't the right word for okay it. Oh, well what was it easy yeah, with conviction. I mean, was it was it um, was it received well? Let's put it that way. Was it received well? Um, I I guess all in all, yes. Like it it was hard. It was hard for me mm -hmm. because like 
part of the reason I was attracted to to this this orthodox way of life and looking at at um, romantic relationships was that like was about that emotional weight that these relationships carry. Right. Like it wasn't just from without that I felt pressure to like, yes, feeling like there was something wrong with me if I weren't in a relationship was a big thing. But it was also that I really, I just, I, I really craved close relationships. Right. Because it was something that was missing at home because of my mother's passing. Mm. So, so I needed something big like Orthodox Judaism to not only give me permission, but like direct tools in which to set boundaries. Um, and so, so I just kind of did them. It, it's a good age to do that because it's like, you're not, my, my peers weren't old enough to have, you know, like strong convictions about, about no, like, okay, that's not a good way. Cause like young, young people do rely on feelings of normalcy, right? but at the same time, it's, especially in a conservatory program where you're thrust together, mm-hmm. if, if one person's just doing things a certain way, you just got to accept it because you see them every day. Especially like my first year of undergrad, I was away living in a dorm and the schedule was very intensive. So like we were all eating breakfast together and taking all the same classes together. And it was a lot of time spent together. And like, yeah, I was, I was known for being nice, which I'm very proud of. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, like, it, it, it was okay for me to be different because I was, you know, I, I made that effort to, to bond with my classmates. Where did you go? To, uh, so, un, you're undergraduate. Where did you go there again? I went to the College Conservatory of Music at the University of Cincinnati. Oh, oh so you traveled away for, and from home. And then, so... so uh, let me. So I'm trying to imagine. So at that point, so there was a stage where you were, you were getting into tr- traditional Judaism, and mm-hmm. and you definitely drew some inspiration and, and some practical practices that that aided you, like you're saying, in, in setting boundaries regarding relationships. And I, I would imagine at that stage, you're saying, but but the Shabbos observance might have come later, which obviously mm-hmm. would be a disruption to, um, you know. Uh, cl- certainly a classical music career as I've known certain individuals who, who've confronted that very, very strongly. Mm-hmm. But, but I can imagine before that stage that this may probably actually give you more time to work on the music because you, you had less, <laughs> you had less uh, distractions because you could set clearer boundaries oh. with, regarding, mm. I can imagine for, for a teenage musician that, that must, that must be a very challenging thing to be completely devoted to an instrument and also have the, the pressure of, of you know being a teenage <laughs> teenager um, and the relationships, but did that inf- afford you at that point more uh, ability to focus on the music? Oh, maybe it did. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, thinking back on when I like in high school, even when I was still like even when I was out of school, yeah, relationships take a lot of time, <laughs> um, and. Yeah. Okay. So I guess for the sake of the timeline, I'll just say that like I I started to keep Shabbat when I went away for that first year of conservatory in Cincinnati. I was mm. in a new place. Like I was away from from home, where like that's the biggest challenge, really. Right. Is to do so at home, um, make such a big change in the home environment. Um, yeah. <laughs> and 
So I started keeping Shabbat there. I would still eat, I'd, I'd eat vegetarian food at any other, any restaurant. I wasn't like keeping strict kosher. Um, and then like things that like, I, I, as I went through that year in Cincinnati, I realized that it would be better if I came back to New York city for a number of reasons. And when I came back to New York city, I was like, okay, um, well, one thing was that like that, that first year of keeping Shabbos, I viewed as a trial. Like I should really, really try it. Um, and I'll see how I feel after. And I felt really good about it. I, the, the truth was that I, I didn't, I didn't think of things in terms of getting gigs. Uh Um, this was, this, this decision did have a lot of input from my lack of knowledge of how things should be or usually are for musicians. Mm. Um, and, and so I just I was basing this off of my inner experience of of feeling like I had gotten what a, a bunch of things that I craved, which was community, sense of belonging, um, a sense of place existentially, uh, and so I decided to keep to continue keeping Shabbos, and that and so then I felt like okay that that then entails that I sh- I, I'll start keeping kosher strictly and um, but. Yeah, along with, yeah, and and also, like, becoming even stricter about my boundaries with the opposite gender. Mm-hmm. So I, I started refusing handshakes and hugs um, and spending, like, even that first year in Cincinnati, I had close male friends in a way that, um, well, no, even at, at Manus, I still did. But yeah, with that physical boundary there, things definitely changed in terms of my socializing with the opposite gender. Hmm. So, so what? At what point? So, I, I, obviously, at certain point, you were in a a path towards a professional a career, obviously, as a, a professional mm-hmm. cellist. Um, so, at what point did that come into your radar? That okay, now here's what it's going to take to be a professional. Um, and, and here, and here's this lifestyle that, that, um, you've chosen or that chose you, <laughs> have your mm-hmm. look, and that, and that, that at some point did it, it come to a loggerhead? Was, was there a conflict at some point where you had to make a choice or, or what happened that, you know, what happened next? Cause obviously I, I, since I met you, I knew, you know, I already knew you and since you, uh, you've been married and you had, you know, um, you have children, but, um, you know what so what there obviously there was a you know that that couple of years was probably crucial in certain decisions that you made regarding your career and then um transitioning into you know building a family and as a you know living in crown heights in a hasidic uh environment so what so what happened between those two at the time you decided to start keeping shabbos um and you know and where your life took you till um, tell you where you are now. Okay. So, um, it was, it started as a buildup of things that I tried to like not let affect me, which I now see as being in denial of, which were the ways in which all the combination of 
keeping Shabbos, plus not playing in churches, plus the time it takes to build marriage, plus the time it takes to have kids, plus my community's mores about the about keeping men and women separate at community functions, which I think the what really has become something that like activated me and made me more passionate about like pursuing, like actually pursuing rather than just kind of falling into step in, in all the, like st all the steps that musicians take where you study intensively as a young child and then you go to conservatory, then you get a master's and you know, there's like a, a path up to a point um, for a professional musician to take. So that doesn't require that much decision-making in that department. Mm. You just kind of do it. But once I kind of came around and saw that I couldn't just rely on the, on that system, on that musical system to kind of take care of me. Um, I had to start facing the things that I, I found to be challenging in pursuing my interests and my livelihood as a musician. And I think, I now believe at this point that the biggest thing is that the my, my own Chabad Hasidic community cannot take care of me financially in terms of being able to provide me gigs. Uh -huh. They do provide me gigs. I don't want anyone to, like, I have gotten so many gigs that I am so grateful for, and they were also amazing personal experiences. But the fact is that I cannot play at the weddings that occur several times a day at the wedding halls in my neighborhood hmm. because women don't play at them. It's, right. it's, a, it's a value in this community that, uh, one that I don't fully understand. And for a long time, I just... I was able to accept it and and not feel um, not feel too badly about it because, like I was, I had my outlet at school. Mm -hmm. um, but in the absence of that outlet, um, it it really it it makes it, it it's hard. It's hard to see that. Well, let me just get clear on that. So you you stayed at school through, um, in terms of studying the cello. Um, through through be, you know be getting taking on full observance and becoming married and and starting to have children was that in that whole time you were still in a studying mode i i, I mean I, what i want to uh, try to figure out is it was there at one point where you said you know made a clear decision you know understanding and decision that okay here's the path of of a professional cellist and i'm i'm doing something different now i'm not oh, doing right. Was there was there a moment of that and and you made okay I'm I'm gonna be you know obviously getting married having a family probably for most uh, young musicians of any, of any sort is is probably often put off I imagine in that world let alone the, the Shabbos observance and the the sneers you know the 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 modesty expectations and such so was there a point or or it was kind of evolved over over a few years um it. It, uh, okay, so I, I definitely realized that keeping Shabbos meant that I would have to be pursuing things in a different way mm -hmm. than my peers. Um, but I was sort of able to, like, it didn't, 
I didn't, I didn't really feel it for a very long time because again, I was in school for, for, you know, those first few years after I made the decision to keep Shabbos, Mm -hmm. getting those opportunities. Um, and yes, having, getting married and having kids is like, well, okay. Stateside, it's like, you just don't do that. You could get married, but having kids, it's like, you, you can't, you can't make that sacrifice for your craft. That was the message that I that, got. Right. That's the perception. Right. So but but you decided, I yeah, masters, I did my master's in Israel and I ah, was okay. during the second year of that, of that degree program. And people were so happy for me. It's different over there. People's values include family. There's uh-huh. just, just a, that the culture is, is much more family based than it is in the States. Um, for whatever reasons that I think that's a very interesting subject. Um, but I, I was really like, I was really grateful that I, um, that like having my first pregnancy was in Israel so that I could get that affirmation that yes, this is beautiful. This is great because I carried a lot of baggage about it. Mm I really wanted to get married. I really wanted to have kids, but at the same time, I I definitely felt that dissonance. Mm-hmm. And and the truth was that it wasn't great timing for me to have a child right out of my master's degree, and I didn't really have a plan in place because it was it was very hard for me to grapple with this. That that like that I had to. It was hard for me to admit that my life was going to fundamentally change in terms of my involvement with music during my childbearing years. Right. And so I kind of just didn't admit it. And then like, and then I entered into this spiral where I just kind of like, I didn't, I didn't make plans because I was just totally (laughs) weirded out by, um, by this conflict that I saw. And, um, and then I kind of thought, okay, I'll just come back to the States after, after having my first child and, and we'll, we'll figure it out. I'll like reenter my, my network in New York city and I'll somehow be fine. But, um, but it didn't work out that way because of like all these other circumstances that kind of just popped up. Um, and so that was a really, really tough time. Right. Well, so so at this point, I mean, obviously, since I've known you, and you've uh, you've actually I've seen you become even more active, um, in terms of, you know, obviously you're finding a way to to resolve that uh, perceived conflict <laughs> between <laughs> being a mother. I mean, because there's so many, so much unique about what you're doing that I think is is kind of a trailblazing thing in a way, and and. Uh, there's probably very, very few people who are doing what you're doing, in, in, you know, in your position. And as a kind of a, a trailblazer and a, a, as a light to others, to younger musicians or aspiring musicians um, that want to incorporate music into the life in a, in a meaningful way, in a professional way, that even, even with circumstances under which the status quo will say, well, you can't do that. And so, so I, I, you know, how... So I, but I see, you know, you've been very active. I'd love to hear to, from you where, so what, what your, your current, where you see yourself in terms of, obviously you've incorporated music very much into your life and as a professional, um, what your current involvement 
is uh, is like for you as a as a uh, mother and you know um, as a family ma- homemaker and, and as a Hasidic woman um, and where you see yourself in terms of your your goals for the future. Okay, so um, so for a, for quite a while, I felt like um, I I felt some sort of obligation to to kind of base my music out of my Hasidic community, like to to try to build opportunities for myself within the community, mm. like that I really really should do that, mm-hmm. and. Um, and so I, I do, and I have, but the, the level at which that's possible is not, it's like, it's not full time. I'll put it that way. Like the the amount of opportunities to be built is not that many because this is something that's like appreciation for the arts is, um, is something that's building in the Hasidic communities. So, um, so I, 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 I looked to the to my community for a little too much than they could give me at first mm-hmm. because I didn't understand a lot of the dynamics at play. Um, but at the same time, I, I was really grappling with, with two things. One was the input I was getting about um, how to conceive myself in terms of the separation of men and women that is a value in Hasidic thought. Um, I like, I couldn't, I, I felt really badly about, um, not, not really wanting to go a hundred percent with that because like professionally, like, why would I do that? I didn't, I, I honestly, like if, if one were to ask me like, honestly, what do you think about it? I would have like with regret admitted, I don't see that as being necessary for me. Mm-hmm. But I felt really, I still felt kind of badly about that because I wanted to do this right. I wanted to live life 100%. And so I wanted to do mitzvahs 100% because I didn't, at that time, my conception of, of like the individual relationship of each Jew to God and to the Torah is, is that. It is individualized. Mm-hmm. I really like try as all the mentors I had in my life might it this, I mean, it's, I think it's just something people have to really come to terms with on their own, um, one way or another. And for me, it just, it took a while to figure that out. So, um, what, so what have you figured out? I mean, where, where, where do you see, um, the role, you know, your role, but a particular opportunities for, female musicians in the, in the Orthodox Jewish world in the, in the, the Hasidic world? Okay, so this is something I'm very passionate about, and um, I I think that um, there there are a couple like there are a couple levels of difficulty here. Like I'd go, I, I want to go so far as to say there are these levels of repression that are keeping opportunities from building hmm. just amongst women. Um, so as an example. One thing that I see is that there there's plenty of programming for women. It's not like women are expected just to just stay at home all the time. Mm. 
in this community by by all means that is totally the opposite of what i see on offer in terms of events for socializing and and classes and and things for women to go to um however what i see at a lot of uh, a, a lot of events for women um for one thing there will be like a class given and it's a, it's for women um, a class or, or even a Fabringen, I think this is a better example. There are Fabringen's held for women, which are like, Fabringen is a, it's a gathering mm-hmm. where there's this sense of like, I, I always think of it in, in terms of like people coming together and like kind of participate in this thing all together. Um, and there's like, uh, the ones that I had at seminary, like the summer I spent at seminary in Jerusalem where we're all about like you come together and like you sing together and it's something you do together. But a lot of the ones that I see in this community are more of a class. They're called a Fabringen, but there's a single person kind of speaking to the group. And it's about how we should be like how, which is very important. We should be inspired to do better than we are. Like that's really important, but it's, it it quickly like the removal from this joint experience that everybody contributes to together turns into this experience where you're being told what to do Hmm. and then all the more so and then there's this additional thing where where that where the Fabregan is led by a man Hmm. and so it's like these women's spaces I I've come to think that for all the value that there is put on having women's spaces in this community, I think we should be doing it a step further. And like, there should, I, I, so for, so for instance, what, what, what do you envision? Well, okay. So at my seminary, Mayanot Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. um, the Roche at the time, Mayor Levinger, um, this, he actually, so he actually gave, this was a for bring in for women. <laughs> um, but this one was especially remarkable because, um, this was while this was that year that I was married and living Jerusalem, living in Jerusalem and going to school at the, the music program, at Yeshiva, the men's program at Mayanot. Mm-hmm. And so it was it's called a Kolel for married families. Um, and the women were invited to also like just drop in on a class at any time as well, or be a Kolel participant themselves in the mm. women's program. And um, and it, it was a relatively new program, so there were all these attempts at, at trying to build more infrastructure for the Kolel. And one of them was this Fabringen that the Roche from the women's program gave to the Kolel wives. Mm-hmm. We were, I think, all of us there were actually alumna, alumni of the of the seminary program, and um, he he wanted to talk about the future of Mayanot with us, and so it was it at least even though it was led by a man, at least it was extremely participatory. Um, but one thing he said was that the 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 actual goal of Mayanot is to to bring the level of, of, of Jew, Judaic scholarship to Orthodox women that there needs to be in order for all the classes at the women's program at Mayanot to be taught by women. Because there are classes taught at the women's program at Mayanot that are taught by men. Mm-hmm. And it's because there are women, there are no women 
with that level of knowledge to be able to teach those classes. Mm. And so, so this is a, a problem of there being an education gap where there really shouldn't be because because the leader of our Chabad movement, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, spoke about the need and importance, the urgency of women studying the Talmud, and like to have that level of knowledge, and and like it's very clearly applicable in terms of just teaching other women that we should have our women's spaces actually be women's spaces. Mm. And so I think that that's one thing that I I would really like to see because. This, this is related to this other, like, very closely related topic that I feel very passionate about, which is this, um, this thing, this, like, this hugely influential, though not well explored, developed, or talked about presence of the, the, the halacha, the Jewish law about kol isha, the voice of a woman. Uh-huh. And so, as it's practiced in our community here in Crown Heights and in many other Orthodox communities, um, women do not sing when there are men present. And that's because the, the obligation, as it's understood in our circles, is that a man should avoid hearing the singing voice of a woman because it's... Uh, the, the quote from the Talmud that I see as being like, the, the 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 reasoning for it is typically ex- explained as being from this phrase from the Talmud, "Kol ve'isha erva." Mm-hmm. The voice of, of a woman is an intimate part of her body, and so oh, I could talk for a really long time about this. Well, <laughs> what, 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 what are you? No, so what do you? I would love to hear about it. You know, we uh, <laughs> we have a little more time. What is right. uh, uh, this is getting right down to it? So what? So yeah, yeah tell me what your your thoughts are on on that. Um, so I didn't have to think about it for a long time because I'm an instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Chabad house in Cincinnati, um, where I was first exposed to this halacha, it like I didn't really know how to process it, but I also didn't have to process it. I just, you know, I just didn't sing at the Chabad house or only sang when other people were singing. It didn't, again, it, it's just like with, with, Shabbos or any other, like the lack of opportunities from the Jewish end of my community didn't hurt me because I had outlets elsewhere Right. in my music programs. So I, I've only really had to think about this as I've started working and want, like really wanting to work with, with other Orthodox female musicians. There aren't a lot of instrumentalists, but there are, there it's, because of reasons of practicality it's like it's expensive to study an instrument it's like it's not it's not the same there aren't as many opportunities there there aren't music programs galore in crown heights um enough to accommodate all the children of the community for example right that would be amazing but you know there isn't there were many many opportunities for me to study music in manhattan it's not like that here Mm -hmm. um but you know we carry our throats around with us we have this built-in musical instrument so there are a lot of women singers um and i've i've been working with some of them here in crown heights and um like the the most formative for me has been working with esther freeman and she um like being let in on what what it takes for her to 
like do a show and what it's been like for her to achieve the level of excellence that she has without ever having studied formally, like being able to see what like her musical experiences have been through her life and then being able to compare them with mine has been a real eye opener. And it's also like, and then it's like a wake up call. It's like, it's Esther Freeman. It's like the women in, that I work with in the New Moon All-Stars Party Band, which is the, the band that I work with f- from women here in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And we're all Bali Chuva, so we, we learned our music elsewhere before becoming religious. And it's like, well, where is everybody? I, I would love to be able to do a project with a woman whose lifestyle is like mine, who, you know, who, uh, of, with whom our subject matter that we deal with musically can be a reflection of our shared experience. And, and there's just a, a gaping void. So what, what, what is the void? I mean, you're describing, you know, getting together with S, um, Esther Freeman. You're, talk, you're describe, talking about... Um, you know, involvement with the, the Newman All Stars, which are, you know, great bunch of musicians. Um, and so, where where do you see the void? Because you you're referring, you know, I I, I um, just understand from what you're saying. I mean, you are involved in music. So, and and these women you're describing are also involved in music. So, what what do, what do you feel like is the gap that that needs to be breached? Um, so it's what I'm saying is, and I. Like for anybody who will be listening, like I don't mean this to the exclusion of like there there are orthodox female song artists out there, but like being able from my from my network in the secular music world, the the music network in the Jewish world is tiny, right. and it's yeah. it's it's really just a handful for these orthodox female song artists. Right. So I'm able to compare that. And then, but the, like the void really, and what I what I see as part of the problem, and this was the project that I did together with Esther, was about building performance opportunities for women. Mm. What I see is that like I had an overabundance of performance opportunities in school, so I was able to develop that. Like it's really its own skill to perform. Like it doesn't like you could be a really great musician in the practice room and then the stress of being up on a stage is its own whole thing. Definitely. <laughs> like it it's it totally it's it changes everything about like why you're doing what you're doing, the choices choices you make musically, the choices you make artistically, and about the time that you put into it to prepare for a performance up on a stage for a large group. And those opportunities are are very 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 few and far between for orthodox female song artists and so what i what i believe is happening is that without being able to see an end goal without without being able to see where where this investment could take them women aren't going to sink the money and time into developing a musical craft without having examples to be able to see where they're going to be able to apply it. And that playing for your family is not enough. Playing for like a, a, a big event in your shul a couple times a year is not enough. There should be a lot more opportunities. There has to be a lot more opportunities to be able to just do your thing musically in order to 
feel justified in spending all the time mm. that it requires mm. on it. So, be, be, so besides the, the, obviously, the few number of, of Orthodox women that are in, involved seriously in, in music, um, which, I mean, are relatively, obviously, Orthodox men there's, there's, that are involved in music, there, there are more of them. But relative to the larger musical culture, it's still a tiny amount. So, that, you know, meaning, um, so what, what do you see is the, is the obstacle in the way? Meaning, obviously, encouraging more women to get involved and, and building um, opportunities that way. Uh, I, I see that's a wonderful thing. And I, I see you as someone who is an inspiration to other women to, to get involved, especially younger girls and, and younger women, um, to feel emboldened to, to really take music seriously and, and something, something that they're interested in, something that they can do more readily. Um, and you're saying that there's a lack of opportunity, which obviously comes with the territory when there's few, a fewer, a smaller population. But what do you see, number one, as the obstacle to that? Um, meaning, are, are there, do you feel like there are, there's, are particular, um, there's, there is some kind of um, anti-movement against that? Or, or, and, and what do you see as the, the remedy? Um, so I, I wouldn't say anti-movement because I don't think of it as being active like an act of suppression. I think it is more of a, like a, a status quo that is very strong. Right. Um, which is about like, okay, there exists this halacha about, about the intimate nature of a woman's voice. Um, like, like to go so far as to like Erva, like it's, it's very explicit. It's like it's saying that the voice, the singing voice, as we practice it in our circles, is like, is like you keep it closed and covered all the time. Right. Um, and so that kind of goes unexplored, I believe, right. for a lot of women in my community. Yeah. What I see, and it's what I experienced myself. It's Meaning kind of just this fact that you kind of live with because there's you know there's so much else to do in life like our children are so demanding of your time and like there's there's food to cook and kids to feed and mm. work to be to make the bills and and so it's very easy to like any other spiritual pursuit kind of push it to the side and not not you know spend the the, the time and energy on it that could be spent in a way that feels more urgent Right. Meaning, meaning it's unquest. You mean you're saying the 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 clear delineation of of what the restrictions are and what is custom and status quo and what is actually halacha. You're saying are are more or less unquestioned and and could be could be explored more to to create more opportunities because there you feel like there is a lot more room within the boundaries of halacha to for women to be encouraged more to to be involved and to and to perform more and to find more opportunities is that is that is that a correct assessment of, of where you're coming from or 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 you're actually questioning the halakha, the halakha itself um i don't so okay hmm. <laughs> um i don't i don't question the halakha what i don't actually i don't I don't question the statement. I don't question the Talmudic statement that the voice of a woman, the, the singing voice of a woman is this like deep part of her body, powerful and right. 
Into, I, I like how you translated it before, intimate. That, that, yeah. That's a very good translation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay, I, I, I've been hesitating to go there, but I was just talking about this with someone who, like, I think this is important to just put out there that, mm -hmm. like, I'm, I'm basically using the word intimate as a euphemism for genital. Like, Erva is, is like, is saying that this body part, the voice, is of a genital nature, but I'm just more comfortable using the word intimate. I think it's easier for conversation to use that word, especially in, like in our in our circles. But but no, but I, I think I I mean just from my from my learning, Laura, mm -hmm. I, I I think I think intimate is a better translation than genitals for that word. That that because um, the way in the context it's used, let's say in in when Rambam is discussing forbidden relationships, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Um. Let's say two people who, uh, uh, let's say a person who is forbidden to, let's say, a, um, uh, I don't know, like a mother or something that that's a forbidden relationship. They're called Irva, meaning, oh, okay. me meaning, it, so it's right. not, it's not the word itself doesn't mean genitals. It, 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 okay. I, it means much more. Um, some, I, I really like. That's why I say I really like that translation, intimacy, because it ultimately, I think that also provides a guide as to what the boundaries and expectations are and what what are the the possibilities i mean i guess that's really what we're talking about because the yeah. boundaries and limitations we're, we're familiar with in the in the in the orthodox the hasidic world we're pretty familiar with the boundaries but right. I, I think i think the conversation to have and it sounds like you're 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 um saying this if not you know hinting to this if not outright saying it that that finding out what are the what are the possibilities is really the exciting the exciting thing about about this conversation, um, yeah. That and and the possibilities are are obviously, as you and I both know, much greater than they've been presumed to be. Right. And the the, the Orthodox world and the Hasidic world in particular, the Chabad Hasidic world, um, absolutely has undergone a tremendous transformation in in attitude uh, towards the arts towards women's roles. Um, I mean, Chabad has always had, philosophically, as you mentioned, the Rebbe's views on women and learning, um, always had a very empowering, from my, my perspective, what I've learned, especially if I've learned from um, inspiring women that, that I've encountered, including my, my wife, that, mm -hmm. um, that there's a very empowering uh, um, philosophy for women. Yeah. I mean, going back to, you know, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe writing about his great-great-grandmother being one of the greatest Torah scholars of, of her circles secretly, you know, um, right. and, and how that, that is later encouraged. So the idea that a woman could be a great Torah scholar, the idea that a woman could be a, um, an expert, a master musician, um, uh, you know, is, is something that, that I think it, it, from a theoretical basis, from a philosophical basis, is absolutely supported. That, that that's something that a woman can and and if if they're able to should pursue um obviously with with the the caveat that I mean, which i think also applies to men also but maybe even even a little bit more emphasis for women a caveat that that one's um religious or, or family obligations are being attended to not at the expense of of one's um other activities, you know, activities in the world, even 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 holy activities, shouldn't interfere mm -hmm. with with a person's, um, you know, person's uh, holy obligation to raise children, for example, to you know, healthy children, to have healthy uh, marriage relationships and healthy, um, you know, 
religious structured life in, in a basic way. Uh, but ultimately, I think once once that kind of priority uh, structure is in order, and this is, again, what the, this podcast is really about, is, is trying to f- figure that out, um, how, how to now find the opportunities, the unique opportunities, the ones that maybe haven't been thought of, um, with with the support of Torah, <laughs> I mean that that, right. that you know what we've just just finished yesterday. We finished the class for the summer on uh, I did another Hasidic and music class at at Machon Chana, um, at the woman the women's seminary, um, and the major theme we were learning Sefer Hanagunim, which is one of the primary source of of music within a, a, a Torah or Hasidic context, and it, and it becomes out that what, what's one of the primary themes is that. Music is an essential aspect of Torah. Music is considered to be um, one of the, the the most important dimensions of Torah, and and permeates everything in Jewish life, whether or not people are, realize it or acknowledge it. And that some, that in the coming times, the times of global uh, redemption and and transformation, that music is will take on a primary role and it and so i guess how, how that specifically applies to women and specifically applies to the the boundaries of of kol isha i think is a wonderful um question to explore with with the purpose of okay so what are the possibilities what are the opportunities um how can i structure my or how can i how can i inspire myself and other women to get deeply involved even though there are attitudes that that would. Sorry, uh, yeah, that was a motorcycle. Okay. Um, there are attitudes that would seek to to repress, like you were saying. Right. Um, but but I th- I think that that those are fast becoming the exception, not the rule. Even though it might seem otherwise, that's just my perception. Maybe I'm I'm particularly optimistic. You know. Um, Wait, what's the exception? The the I think the exception is a repressive status quo, saying that oh, that, oh. that X and Y is not possible. I think that's uh, that's a, that's an exile mentality, um, because it's not just applied to women in singing and women in music. It's applied right. to um, every aspect of life. There's a, there's a, there's a kind of a downbeat attitude that that um, which is completely anathema to the Hasidic philosophy. That so much of what our human potential um, indicates that we're capable of is not possible, or it's not possible for you, or you don't don't even try that. You know that. Um, that kind of attitude is very much an exile mentality, and, and it is very common, unfortunately, in the modern Jewish world, as I think a throwback to earlier times when Jews really needed to tell ourselves that, to not get in big trouble with the you know, surrounding mm-hmm. hostile nations. But ultimately, we, and, and particularly that was applied from the, from the rabbinical level before the Hasidic movement to music, that um, people were discouraged to to be too happy and too involved in music even at the shabbos table music was discouraged before before hasidic this is all again from the from the um sefer hanagunim the the book of you know the chabad book of melodies um the introduction this is this incredible work um so so to appreciate that that there yes discouragement is has a historical reality and it, it's permeated you know it's definitely exists but th- when i say that an exception i feel like that's an exception meaning that the, that the the core of, of where our community is headed and the, the core of, of bringing into being in, in, in our world as each of us can as individuals 
are looking for the opportunities and not really needing to pay so much attention to an outdated philosophy that doesn't even line up with with our religious values, you know, ever anymore if it ever did. You, you know what I mean? I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I, if, it's like we we've we've been able to move on from that way of thinking, and even like like my my introduction to to Chabad. Orthodox Judaism was we are going to find a way to make this work this being you being a cellist like this is so obviously Necessary for you. That means that it, it it's just going to work. God gave you the cello like you have, Like there was no question about this being something that oh I could give up or but we're still living with the after-effects of that older mentality of like no don't better not to Right. But it's and so it's up to people like you, I mean, particularly in, in as, as a, an example of a woman who's actively involved in studying and performing um, and growing as a musician. Um, and I, I, I see myself in that in that way, in a, in a you know, someone who, while while very much um, feels connected to the values and, and the Hasidic community and, and particularly the values that underlie it, but, but willing to, to challenge um, not not in a in an irreverent way, um, where where someone might say, "Well, I'm I'm not interested in I'll, I'll keep this halacha, I'll keep this Jewish law, but not that one," but more in a way that that actually goes back to the sources and reveals, you know what, this is, um, you know, the attitudes that we, that we've developed as a community are not consistent with, um, with what the the philosophy that that we purport to to follow. Uh, right. teaches and, and that applies in other areas too I mean just people sometimes not being nice to each other you know you, you could you could call them call people or, or, or people davening you know people praying w- without feeling I mean that's really where where, where music is, the, the, the resurgence of music is applicable to everyone that living life and, and, and to pray and to learn and to be involved in, in mitzvah observance with real joy and real with real highest real life that's that's music. I mean, that that's ultimately how Hasidus defines the role of music in our life is what gives us, um, what gives us emotion, what what backs our activities with with a sense of of uh, aliveness. Um, it's it's indistinguishable, and, and a musician is someone who who has the expertise to to live in that realm on a on a much more regular basis. Uh, so you know, ultimately, the the role of women. I, I mean, I think I just want to say. That, that, that in terms of motivation, um, in the face of the, even the halacha of kol isha, uh, um, as we've spoken about in previous conversations, that that's a halacha, unlike most other halachas, that, that is, is actually is stated very clearly in Hasidic and, and Kabbalistic teachings, it has, a, has a clear expiration date. You know, it's not, right. is not, is not one of a, a halacha, it's, it's a circumstantial halacha. Um, right. And and in the, in the times of the redemption, that, that that will not, that will you know, as we say at every wedding blessing, you know, kol sasan v'kol simcha, the voice of joy, the voice of jubilation, kol chasan v'kol kala, the voice of the groom and the voice of the bride, will be heard. Azmitalas, right? It, it'll be heard in in bechutzos okay. and it'll be heard in in the public f- thoroughfares of Jerusalem the male and female voices. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would, I would hope that, that, that awareness, just like, just like the awareness of where we're headed as, as a, a world and as a Jewish people into, a, into this 
um, new world, you know, this new world of, of harmony and, um, and, and global redemption, that that's encouragement, you know, that's already at least, at least a seed of encouragement to say, like, listen, um, at this point, yes, there are social conventions and maybe the opportunities are limited, but keep working on your craft as a musician as, or as an aspiring musician because that won't, what the way things are right now are not, is not the way they're always going to be and opportunities will open up. And it's almost like a matter, a little bit of a matter of betachon, of trust that, that that will unfold, that you can double down on, on the development of the craft without fear of, um, well, it's not going to come to anything because nobody cares anyway in the end. <laughs> but that, but that, that people will care more than ever before. It'll be, it'll be more important than ever before. Right. I think, well, even at this point in the unfolding of, of the messianic process, because that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, even at this point, uh, people, people obviously care very, very much about female self-expression. It's, it's a, it's a rife topic. It's something that like people have strong reactions to positive and negative. Mm. And when it comes to individual experiences with Koisha, um, there there's a lot of hurt. Right. Like even women, the women who abide by Koisha and accept it as they do the yoke of Torah, um, experience a lot of very, very personally, deeply challenging resistance. Mm self-expression at which for them is very urgent like that is yeah, like they, yeah. they've gotten to the place where they are because they it's like they couldn't help but be active singer-songwriters right and, and so i think i think that's a missing piece here and i believe in in the importance of of exploring that hurt mm. and so much so that I bought a domain and intend to publish a website that will um, that will feature writing by women who have had significant experiences with Kalisha across the spectrum of Jewish observance. Hmm. Because as this became something I, I realized was an important factor in my life, um, I started lo- looking to see how it's played out in other women's lives hmm. and it was, it's, I think, I don't know, I really see a lot of signs pointing to me, pointing to it for me being something that I should like pursue, like, like Facebook converse, conversations that would pop up in my feed where like women would, women are starting to talk about it. And I think a dedicated space for it is important, mm. like in Lesmer world, um, which is, which is very secular, but strongly connected to the Orthodox Jewish, uh, Jewish world. There, it's like the male musicians in the Klezmer world work in the Orthodox Jewish world. They play at these high-budget Hasidic weddings and events for which women are simply not hired for. Mm. And it's facts like those and, and the, way, like, the way it feels to be cut out of like this huge amount of Parnassa and to be told no and to be told you're not welcome in this space is very significant mm. and yes it's 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 hashing out something that's negative but giving giving a space for a woman who still who's, who's, who still fights for her right to express herself 
in the face of the way this halacha has been implemented, I think is very important. Yeah. Like the, the way it affects our decisions as Jewish women and the way, like there are women I know for whom Kol Isha was the reason why, is the reason why they don't interact further with orthodoxy. Right. And I think that's a very important point and something that, like needs to be part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. No, I've I've known women like that also. I, I mean, I, I, that does sound that does sound um, very much needed. And I mean, ultimately, I would hope that 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 kind of airing of those feelings about it w- would lead to and a further encouragement to to push those goalposts because the, again, they, they are very movable. They're not they're not uh, you know Shabbos sundown. You know what I mean? These these boundaries are mostly community created. You know they're they're off loosely based on halacha, a lot of the status quos, but not not. But they're really, um, they they they're changeable, and they and they and no. As long as I've been in Crown Heights, um, I first moved. I first came to Crown Heights um, in two thousand. Things are drastically, radically different for what's possible mm-hmm. for for an artist of all genders, particularly women. So I, 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 it's rapidly changing. So I, I would, I would encourage you, you know, what you're talking about sounds sounds wonderful, and it sounds like a great space um, for for women to to be able to communicate about this. And I would hope that it leads to something very empowering that that would, because I do, I do see that trend. I understand what you're saying that there's been there is a the reality in the ground now, and and the experience many women are, have had is one of of you know suppression and being being not allowed in 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 spaces and and being exed out of parnassa opportunities i hear that um i'm just i just see in in the, in the very near future that radically changing um yeah. in in a very healthy way so I just encourage you know and so ultimately that that the that awareness leads to women be more women and more musicians in general being encouraged to take advantage of that meaning take advantage of the the coming um, renaissance within within the Jewish world of of really embracing music, uh, uh, you know that that is as varied as as the individuals that make it, men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, I really I really see that as something that that the world is absolutely open to, and and the, and the, and I I do see it as very much nowadays an an absolute exception, um, at, at least in terms of of what's unfolding, um, meaning. You know, I understand in terms of Hasidic weddings and in terms of of within the Hasidic community, there are there are um, many closed doors that that. Yeah, I see that. That's, but in the world at large, for a religious woman, there's many, many, many opportunities to to express their music and to make par- and to make good Parnassa, just like there is with with so many um, opening up for so many as- musicians and aspiring musicians. Um, who who are taking advantage of opportunities that exist now that never did before, um, in terms of sharing their music online, in terms of right. of, of um, doing music for all sorts of purposes where where it's you know being crea- thinking out of the box in terms of trying something that never has never been done before, um, with uh, the, tu- the the musical tools that we have with electronic music and the the oppor- those opportunities. So I would encourage you know that that also because because ultimately um, it's much much less of a of a taboo, let's say, for a Hasidic woman singer songwriter to upload a video, let's say, yeah, and mm-hmm. and while there may be certain people who say no, that's not right, but obviously, and the 
rabbinical guidance that I, that I've seen, um, you know, it, it there, there's a lot of room there for yeah. um, for certainly for women to 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 play music um, in those spheres, and and um, that's a that's a much bigger audience <laughs> than just the Hasidic world. We're talking about potentially billions of people um, if that's what a what a woman so chooses to to go for, you know. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's 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 really wonderful to hear to hear your views on it, and and I really encourage your efforts in that direction. Because I think the more the more of that conversation, the better. You know, however you you, you choose to um, conduct it. You know, p- hearing people w- where they're holding, and then encouraging um, more music to be made. I mean, ultimately, I mean, I, I think uh, you know that makes people happier. I mean, I mean not just happier. But it's it brings it's more well being for the world. It's. Um, the more music that, that's a part of our lives and the more people who have this itch to be involved musically get over whatever, whether the, so many inner obstacles, whatever perceived outer obstacles, real, real or otherwise, um, that, that we just say, you know, you know, to the heck with that, you know, I'm just going to make the music, I'm just going to make music however I can, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and I see you as, as an example of someone who's doing that, you know, who's, who's really um, taking advantage of whatever opportunities that you can find to to create you know and to and to grow i mean do you, um thank you does so any any um concluding thoughts um any kind of message that you might have to to other fellow musicians uh, female and otherwise <laughs> <laughs> um a, a big thing for me has been allowing myself to be honest with my with my inner thoughts mm. and I think that is vital for everybody that I think people live with a lot of denials a lot of dissonance and it's a I think it's very it's so normal it's like it's basically how it is to live with inner conflict mm. but I think we should have we should instill as a value that we can't live with denial of our own thoughts and that like i i think one thing that's a a biggie in the in like in orthodox jewish circles is this idea of having an an evil inclination Hmm. and that that it manifests in many ways and i i think people like because some of our inner thoughts are in resistance to observing mitzvahs in a certain way um it, it it's easy to just like kind of stuff that down and say no back down yetahara hmm. you it's just evil inclination talking but we're supposed to know our our evil inclinations we're supposed like that's that's something that i've like gathered we hmm. should have knowledge like this is something we should we should honor kind of in in just like knowing ourselves and being able to to like you have to kind of give it its own voice um, and and respect it for the place that it has. Mm. Um, and then, like that's that's one way to approach this this thing that I'm talking about, which is that sometimes resistance to the our, our like religious status quo is what you were talking about with how like community standards or mores or values can actually become such that they're in direct conflict with what the Torah actually says. Hmm. And and our inner voices are speaking out against that. Like, 
I think mm-hmm. our focus, like when we talk about focusing on the positive, we have to, uh, it's extremely important to turn that on ourselves and think like our, our tastes and our interests and the, the nagging voices that are saying something is bothering me are coming from a good place. Mm. And I think that's a basis for which creativity requires and then flows. Wow. You, so you're, you're saying that, that often people mistake um, an inner voice of truth for the, for the evil inclination. And, the, and that, that's something that, that, pe- that is important to question. To bring it. Yeah. Ah, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Get to know your dark side, which may be not so dark after all. Um, exactly. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, so also one thing I think that, that pe- gets in the way for people, um, I know I, a lot of people I know that have this issue when, when they're, they sincerely want to live a religious life um, and they have a sense that their worthiness is very much connected to their religiosity. Even mm-hmm. to even to the extent that their success in life and the, and the blessings that the, they're going to get from um, from a Almighty God they purport you know to believe in is right. is dependent on how well they're doing with their mm-hmm. and and one analogy I heard recently that really puts that into clarity that we don't have to be so hard on ourselves um, while still gr- you know um, having self respect and growing is that you know looking at um, you know, looking at Hashem, you know, looking at God as a as a a, a loving father, that if, if that if, if a parent is, you know, even if their child is misbehaving, and we can think about our, our very young children, we're still going to feed them, we're still going to take care of them, we're going to still going to keep them safe. You know, they don't right. they don't need to be act worthily in order to get our love and 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 um, support. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I think that's exactly the way we are are viewed from above. That even if we're not living up to whatever standards we set for ourselves, or the, you know, even the standards that the uh, you know the religious standards that we think we should be living up to, or even that we should be living up to, but that that that's not doesn't take away our ability to have a lot of success, and to do the best we can with what we have. Um, yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah. So, it really, uh, Loris, I really appreciate your time. This has really been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank um, you so much. And hopefully we'll con- we'll con- continue the conversation. I'd love to hear more, you know, how things turn out um, with your website and and you know a, f- a little bit of time down the line when when the Jewish world has transformed mightily. We should check in again uh, and, and, right. and reassess reassess the state of uh, of the the musical world. Awesome, great! Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. It's always great talking to you, and I really appreciate you having me. Pleasure. So. Um, good, you know, a lot of success in all your endeavors as um, with your, your family and the health um, and, uh, and a lot of success with your music. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing a lot of great music from you and, and the women and, and other musicians that you work with and encourage. Um, so. Amen. Thank you. The, Make the more the better. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Great. Okay. Have, have a great day, Laura. You too. Thanks.
That was Antonin Dvorak, Concerto for Cello in B Minor, featuring Laura Melnikoff on the cello. So I want to thank Laura for joining us today. I think she's really an inspiring example of a musician who, despite challenging circumstances that would make it prohibitive to play as much music as she does, as accomplished as she is, and how she continues to pursue and to improve. And I draw myself a lot of inspiration from that. I'm sure younger musicians, particularly um, women, particularly women in the uh, religious community, I think would find inspiration in her story and her example. So again, thank you for listening and check out our Patreon page, soundheightsrecords.com. You can see information there about the Brooklyn Jazz Warriors, the music that I make, and about the podcast, of course, about the studio, Sound Heights Records here in Crown Heights. We've always got something or other burning on the fire, so come check us out, sign up for our mailing list, and remember, the abundant singing and playing of music will bring about the true and complete redemption. See you next time.